Hello, East Glenville Community Church. This is Jessica Munn and Pastor Mitch with uh, episode 12 of So, I Have a Question. And today we're going to be talking about two sermons. So uh, this will be talking about Sunday, December 12th and Sunday, December 19th, er, 2021. So with that getting started, uh, Mitch, I have a question. Yes. Okay. Uh, so in... Uh, on the sermon on the 12th, you talked about, um, you started off the sermon with explaining different ways that God revealed himself to people in the Old Testament. Uh, so specifically, one of the ones you talked about is like the angel of the Lord. And so can you like dive a little bit deeper into the difference between like the angel of the Lord versus just normal angels and how that works? Yeah, it it, it is a confusing you have to deduce it all from the stories themselves and and sometimes they'll, they'll say angels and sometimes they'll say angel of the lord and you're not sure if it's the the angel of the lord or an angel from the lord but so that the best story is the one three angels three men as far as abraham is concerned come to him and he deduces that they are 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 spiritual beings, angels of some sort, or um, that they're not normal men. And one of them speaks with authority mm. and more clarity. And, and you, you get the sense that the other two are servant angels. And that uh, the, the third one is the angel of the Lord, that it's, it's the Lord speaking um, directly from God, not, not just like a Gabriel. And okay. And if you go to Jesus, he talked with the, the religious leaders once about, you know, and he, he makes a comment, says he knew Abraham, mm. like he talked to Abraham. And so what you get is that that was, in a sense, the Lord talking to Abraham directly in the form, in a temporary form of a person. Um, so that's one there's other stories but i think that's the one that that probably has shaped the way i understand it the best um i mean the weirdest is jacob when it says again an angel of the lord came to jacob and they wrestle all night long and jacob assumes he's just wrestling some mysterious stranger but the but then when the 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 angel speaks it speaks as if he's the lord mm-hmm. and makes promises and so then you start to realize, no, this is not just um, a person. It's not even just a mere angel. It is is God coming to to Jacob. Yeah. Yeah, and so when I um, I highlighted a few different ways that God shows up, and that you know that being one of them. The other being when God appeared in in His glory, like pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, and that that was so intimidating that the people were too afraid to talk to God. And then the third way I talked about is just when God spoke to his prophets in a, in a voice. So they didn't see him. They only heard him. Mm-hmm. And in our conversation, you know, we, we figured out I missed one. So I, I have a question, Jessica, wh- which one did I miss as far as how God communicated to the prophets? Yeah, I guess. And it's, it's a subtle distinction, I think, but you mentioned how, when he spoke to the prophets, uh, the way you phrased it was that it was his small, gentle voice. Um, but sometimes it was more than that. And God would give them 
uh, visions that could be, you know, could be terrifying to the viewer. And so I'm thinking of like Ezekiel with the uh, uh, the whole wheels in the middle of the wheel and creatures with multiple heads and faces and eyes covering all over their body and, you know, things like that. Or even uh, speaking of like Daniel, when he saw uh, the son of man and that whole scene of the different kingdoms and stuff. Um, so you you had a little bit, it, it's almost like a toned down of God's initial glory, um, but it's in a vision form. Right. And you're absolutely right that that's, a very, I think it's quite distinct from just the voice of God to a prophet. Um, and it, it communicates different things. Mm-hmm. It's still not another physical appearance in right. that sense. But um, yeah, and even Isaiah is being caught up into heaven. And I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And those are some of the most powerful parts of scripture. So, right. Um, so yeah, that I, I think I, if I would do it again, I'd add that as a fourth way that God has has communicated, appeared to his people in the past um, mm-hmm. through visions and dreams. And I mean, it says in Joel that, you know, that that I will appear to to the young men in visions and dreams. And so, yep. Um, so that's certainly a valid way. Yeah. Okay. And what was my point that I was trying to make out of that? Your your point was the the need for the incarnation um, and how it was just what God did through um, giving birth to Mary was completely different. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That that the incarnation was something of a completely different order. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we could not have imagined. And um, even though it was foretold. Right. And it, it, it was funny because as you were explaining that and going through it, it was reminding me of, I think it was last Christmas, uh, the worship team did a special song that was called who would have dreamed. And it was just mm. all about like uh, the, the chorus goes like, who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? Mm. And uh, so it was like playing in my background the whole time while you were explaining it. Like, yeah, like this, like what the incarnation did in the fact that God was like, nope, this is the way we're going. Like we would have been so drastically different than what he had done yeah. previously. So I have a, a, a thing. I, I'm sort of aiming this as a question. If, if you have a similar experience. Okay. So I, I am a natural skeptic in that I, I, cause, because I came in to the faith that way. And so I know I've read some of the old Testament prophecies in the past that some people say are very clearly about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, could those have been in, my natural way to approach him? Could those have been interpreted another way? Mm-hmm. And I, I have actually grown more convinced over time that they really do point to Jesus as I've studied them more, not less. That's I could see how someone would interpret them differently to being a, a not about specifically Jesus or not even about the Messiah. But as I understand, especially some of the ones that before Jesus came, these passages were interpreted to be about the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And um, they just didn't understand what it would mean. Right. And so, so anyways, I, I, I wondered if you've ever had that, do you ever look at some of those things that tell about the coming of a Messiah, the birth of a child who 
can can you imagine or have you heard other explanations of those that that don't fit Jesus or how compelling are those as prophecies? Yeah, I think okay, I'm going to try to formulate my thought. I have two thoughts going through my head. So I know that at one point I I did try to do I didn't get very far, but I was trying to see like okay, what are actual um people who follow the Jewish faith today? What do they say about some of these passages? Mm. Um and I think for several of them, it was a like, yes, this passage is still talking about the Messiah, but it wasn't Jesus. Um, okay. Is kind of what I saw. But I think what was the most helpful for me and was understanding, and I'm trying to remember, I think it was actually, um, yeah. So a book that might come up a lot in this podcast is, uh, or in this talk, is uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth E. Bailey. And I think it was in his book where um, he talked about how the way that like um, sometimes, especially because the New Testament, they'll just be like when talking about Jesus's birth, for example, um, or we're talking about. Uh, what was it um, like out of Egypt, I called my son. And so like sure. so at the time it was penned. It was talking, it was an analogy for God talking about um, how he brought the nation of Israel up out of Egypt um, after uh, the Exodus. Yeah. And, and but one of the New Testament authors uses it to mention to Jesus that, you know, Jesus was brought out of Egypt after Herod the Great was dead and it was, no, they were no longer searching to kill him type of thing. And yeah. so, you know, just reading it, reading that line in context, you could say, well, how does this have anything to do? Like, it's very clear that this is part of talking about the Exodus. So why do you relate it to Jesus? And, uh, and the book explained that, like, the point is that you're, it's not necessarily supposed to be a, like, yes, this exact sentence, you know, immediately foreshadowed what was going to happen years later. It was more of a, like, look, like, I want to specifically note these similarities in these two stories because there's a deeper meaning here. And the deeper meaning, especially for that one, was that like the Exodus is when like the word redemption comes from the Exodus story. Like that's when God yeah. redeemed his people and Jesus is going to do the same thing. Um, redeem his, redeem God's people. So. Yeah. So very similar as my thoughts were going to that the most thoughtful critique I hear from from believing Jewish scholars about the prophecies is that they're meant to what we read as prophecies of the Messiah they say apply to Israel mm -hmm. even after Jesus time that like the the suffering servant they'll they'll say that has been Israel through history got it yeah and I, I think there's it's a it's the more thoughtful critique but I, I think the way to even what you said is that Jesus, was representative as the Messiah of God's people. So he alone, what happened to him is in a sense representative of the people. Mm -hmm. And so it does apply in that sense. If you're, if you're thinking of it in the right, if right frame of mind, I guess. So right. Yeah. yeah. So you could see how it could be um, still applying to Jesus. I, I, I'm not sure I'd use it as a proof the way we think of a modern day. Ah, it was predicted. But right. more of how Jesus in his life and everything he did showed that he fulfilled filled this role. 
as a representative. Yeah. Yeah. What else we got? Yeah. Um, so you went on a tangent at one point um, about First Timothy 2.15 and uh, just talking about uh, the Virgin Mary. And so I was just kind of curious to start off, like, why did you think of sharing that? And what was like, what, what was your favorite part of that? Or why, why did it excite you so much? Well, the whole spur for the whole mini series we're doing at Advent came from that C.S. Lewis quote mm. where he talked about how the whole plan of God, the whole way of God showing himself, you know, instead of being broad, God communicating himself to all people equally, it got narrow. It's, you know, from one people and it narrowed all the way down to one Jewish girl at her prayers. That's how God was going to mm. enter the world. And so, and so in a sense, the whole, my whole thinking, how did I get to first Timothy two fifteen? is that that whole, the Jewish girl at her prayers was the, the mode method, the key moment of God, God's salvation work of the incarnation. Mm-hmm. And I I've studied first Timothy two fifteen in different contexts. Cause it, it's, it's a text that talks about should women be teachers and have authority. And there's a whole thing with that. Um, but that, that idea that the verse saying that women will be shared will be um, saved through childbearing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not too long ago read a book that talked about how that could be translated saved through the childbirth. And that verse made so much more sense to me when I saw it in that light versus saying somehow women are, are find salvation when they give birth to a baby that, that, you know, so I connected the interpretation of that verse to mm-hmm. the whole point that, Lewis did. And so just to clarify, so this last Sunday, I talked about how Jesus was representative, had the Messiah had to be representative. He had to be one of us human. He's made like us in every way so that he could represent us so that where Adam had failed, Jesus succeeded. Mm-hmm. Where I look at the, the parallel is that where Eve had failed, Mary had succeeded. She had even specifically failed by not trusting in God's word. Yep. And, and Mary, I mean, despite how crazy the word was, Mary believed and she, she received it and was willing to go forward with it. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's fascinating how God did that. And in a sense, is, I don't know. How, how do you react? I just love I, I guess there's two reactions. The it just reminds me of the intentionality of God and even just of the scriptures that they, you know, they make a point to pull out gems like that to make it obvious. Like, yeah, I know, mm. like this is actually something to pay attention to and connect the old and new testament. Um yeah. but I think also just the fact that like knowing maybe this is also because I am a woman, and so like knowing that God knew um that a lot of the I mean, at that time when this would have been written, like women couldn't even didn't have the authority to speak up in like court. Like, okay, it, it was like you didn't trust a woman's word. And so the the fact which is part of why the fact that the first people to see the empty tomb were women and report it. Yeah. And why that's mentioned. Um, but the, just the fact that 
God would be intentional in being like, nope, I want my plan to go through like the first weak link, like the, the first downfall yeah. of Eve eating the apple. Like I want to be specifically use a woman to fulfill my plan almost like a because like I want you to know that like I still love you type of thing or like something like right. that like you're you're not too far you can almost say he redeemed womanhood yes yeah I mean that's a little bit broad and maybe a little bit vague I, I don't even know what that means but I think there's something there yeah um to what God was doing and the way he the way he chose to do his plan yep so so there's 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 a tangent and it's not essential to the, the the main message, but who knows? Maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe. If we ever get into Revelation, there's a fascinating passage in Revelation 12. Okay. About the, the cosmic woman of the stars who gives birth to the, the child. And I think, again, that's, that's a, almost a different picture of what Mary is. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. So I actually, since we're talking about Mary, I want to go on a little bit of a tangent. This is not in your sermon. Um, but. Can we just talk a bit about, because I know different denominations and backgrounds have different views on the Virgin Mary. And so, like, can we just talk a bit about that and uh, what your thoughts might be on it? Sure. Um, I I have less connect Catholic connections than uh, a lot of people at East Glenville were. Uh, I, I've had Catholic friends, and but as far as digging into the theology. Um, if you just go by what you see on TV, it is sometimes there's a little bit uh, the focus on praying to Mary. I never quite got that. Um, but I think, I think Mary had an important role in, in the salvation plan of God and should be reverenced as much as Paul or Peter or the disciples, I don't think maybe you want to elevate her to the level of Jesus. Right. Is that so? What's your take on it? Yeah, um, I mean, I have one really good uh, Catholic friend, and so she had been trying to explain it to me. So I think part of it was um, in the, I, I think a lot of the Catholic um, mindset comes from. Uh, Jesus's first miracle of turning water into wine, um, Mary's the one who initiates it. And so um, it's kind of that like Mary, thinking through the fact that Mary has the uh, authority in Jesus's life to kind of, at least when he was on earth, to lead him in different directions type of thing. And so that's part of why, um, I, th- I think that's part of why, where the, the prayer to Mary or whatever that the Catholic church does um, right. came from. And, and since it's less, when you keep it in the context that um, some Catholics pray to all the saints type of thing, like Mary is considered a saint. And so it, it meets that context. Right. Um, and, and I understand the idea of it from a Catholic perspective. I think I go back to some clear verses that say, you know, for through him, through Jesus, mm-hmm. we all have access to the father right. and, and, Jesus made it clear to his disciples, you know, you don't need to go through anyone else. Mm -hmm. The father wants you to have, wants to hear your prayers. So, so I get a little concerned when I I feel like you're ignoring verses like clear verses like that, but Hey, who am I to say, what's the right way to pray? You know, if, if, 
um, kind of a thing. Yeah, and I think that sometimes, like, there are some people who get so concerned by that that they do almost the exact opposite, and they just look at Mary and say, like, oh, well, she's just, like, a normal woman. Like, like, stop, like, stop elevating her at all. Like, she's just a normal woman like everyone else. And it's one of those things where it's, like, well, not, like, you know, she should probably be on the same reverence as, like, a King David or a Moses or an Abraham type of thing, like of the greats. And so like, it's, it's good to pay attention to her story and learn from her and, and go on from there. I can live with that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a decent balance to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if I have anything to add. <laughs> well, okay. Well, speaking of uh, learning from Mary, you talked about um, using Mary as the example of receiving and believing um the faith and how she just received god's word and believed it and so i was wondering if you could um jump into that a bit more because i just really liked what you had to share yeah i think and maybe this might even go back to how how you appropriately honor mary is is just understanding like what what that would have been like for her She's getting this message from an angel that was, how, how can this be? How is this going to work? And what does it mean for my life? Mm-hmm. And um, to say yes to this, to, to do this. And, and, and I think the fact that Mary, you know, heard the word. And I mean, she asked a question that was just clarification. Yep. Um, but, but not but it wasn't critical, you know, it was like, okay. And then she said, okay, I don't know what this means, but I will, I will follow through. Um, that's just a whole different thing than just belief as far as, well, I guess I can assent to these, these statements or whatever mm-hmm. it is. This is going to change my life. And I don't even know how, but I'm going to believe and, and receive anyways. Mm-hmm. And that, that I think is an impressive step of faith. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think I just loved how you had kind of dove deeper into that. Cause I think a lot of times when people think of believe, like, especially in the church, it's almost like, you know, do you believe that God exists? Like that's, yeah. that's really the question, but the way that you're phrasing it here is more like the, like, no, like, do you believe that when God speaks, like, he will follow through with it. And also that when God speaks, like his authority will impact your life type of thing. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really the question of like, do you believe that he is Lord in your life? Not just right. the God of the universe type of thing. And the question is how much did Mary even feel like she had an option? I mean, Gabriel doesn't present it as an option. Um, you know, if Mary said, no, I don't want this. Would God have honored that? I think he would have actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he chose her because he knew he she would not say that. Right. Um, but you know that that it was all right. Let's do it. Um, and I just feel like for me, those have been the key moments for my life. Is I don't don't I don't understand, but I can obey. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, for that, Mary should be honored. Definitely a great role model. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
Should we move on to the next uh, message? Yep. Um, okay, so, so this message was all about kind of why the incarnation was necessary. And um, so I'm going to start with you kind of, you ended with, or your answer to that question was four main points. Um, so the first was enable us to know what God is like. Uh, the second was to bring God near to people. Uh, the third was to deal with our sin problem. And the fourth was to bring God's kingdom to earth. And I wanted to kind of stop a bit on the, like, bringing God's kingdom to earth. Because the, um, and I know you mentioned this in your in your sermon too, um, that the, the idea of the kingdom of God, um, or that phrase, is actually used a lot. Um, and so I was kind of wondering if we could dive into that a little bit more and talk about uh, what what that all entails. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you you add up all the prophecies of a Messiah and coming of Christ, I mean, you get the other three clearly as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, the uh, Jesus. Because of the incarnation, we can see God. Um, Jesus brought God near to people, and and spent certainly the you know he came to deal with our sin problem. But it is the fourth that is the most often cited, like Psalm two. You know the Son will rule, um, and and you are to respond. So when I think what Jesus came to do through the incarnation, he is he could bring God's rule into our, our individual lives and then together, you know, through a, a visible community life mm-hmm. in a way that I think God at a distant distance was just not going to connect. If, if they were rules issued from above, we, I think you get what you have in the old Testament where the, 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 the Jewish people, they would follow for a while and then they'd forget. They'd follow for a while and then they'd forget. But when the Messiah, Jesus living with us, walking with us, it enables his rule to start to be lived out in a way. And so the kingdom becomes manifest in in people's, you know, men and women following Jesus and beginning their lives to be shaped around his his rules, his words, his life. Mm-hmm. working through them versus rules from above. That's why I think the incarnation was necessary. Cause I just don't think in our hearts, we would respond the same way we needed. We needed Jesus to come. Mm-hmm. Does that connect at all? How yeah. can, can, is there a better way to phrase that? No, I don't think so. And I think that phrasing it like that and looking at like that connects too to the idea. Cause I know that in like um, you were mentioning, you mentioned later or Daniel seven um, and also where the son of man, the phrase, the son of man is mentioned. And then also in revelation, it's that same idea of like the kingdom coming. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's not just the, like we need the incarnation for Jesus to bring, start bringing the kingdom to earth. And then at the end of the age, when Jesus returns is when he brings his kingdom over all the earth. So as you were saying, yes. like right right now it's individual and community based, but eventually it will be over all the earth. Right. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's it's gonna start small. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was two, two meanings. One, it's start small in our life. Yeah. It's a mustard seed. When it first comes in, it's just, maybe it's just a response like Mary's. I believe this and I don't know much about it, but I'm willing to, to trust. And then as you grow in faith, Jesus impacts every aspect of your life. It grows to be the, the largest bush of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also small in a very literal way among his followers. There was the, at the, the crucifixion resurrection, I, I think there's 120, you know, left who stayed faithful. So that's a pretty small seed compared to, you know, the population. And, and yet that would grow within society mm-hmm. so that now, I mean, you think of the church, not just literal church buildings, but how many things has the church impacted in our society? The soup kitchens, um, hotel or hospitals, adoption agencies. Um, I was just talking to the guy from Alpha Pregnancy and how we're going to have him come and share a little bit. But that so, you know, in the last 30 years, crisis pregnancy centers are almost all started by Christians who who love Jesus and want to make it possible for women to have, have babies. Like that's part of the kingdom mm-hmm. growing within our society um, as, as it grows within our lives. And um, the other thing Jesus emphasized is, is joy, right? It, he, he came, you know, he came announcing the kingdom and then he says, rejoice and be glad, right? Even if you're, poor in spirit, even if, if in this life you've been ignored, rejoice and be glad because in God's kingdom, it, it is different. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to be stuck forever where you're at. Yeah. Oh, you got me preaching. So I, I, I'm, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Do you see other emphases of the kingdom, uh, that, that are different from what I was talking about? Like how, how have you, how does the, the idea of speaking Jesus is the, the kingdom, bringing the kingdom strike you? Yeah, I think for me, knowing that that was a f- phrase that was used a lot um, and that Jesus used a lot in his imagery, in his ministry, um, it kind of like brought, it kind of made it more alive and put it in the bigger picture for me. And okay. so, so like when Jesus says like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Or like, you know, the kingdom of God is like a great banquet. Uh, then it's like, oh, like, okay, I need to, when I see that phrase, like now it's like, oh, I need to pay attention because this is like really explaining like what what God is like and what his vision for what his rule looks like and what, yeah. he, what he wants to see on earth type of thing. Right. And see on earth before Jesus comes back. Yeah. Sometimes I used to interpret those more about, oh, those are all about when Jesus returns. I think they all often do apply to that. Like mm-hmm. there's that component of them, but it's talking about how does it impact us now looking forward to that, the return of Christ. Right. Yeah. To get, get a taste and to see yeah. now in a reflection, what then we will see face to face. Yes. Or we begin to embody what, what he will bring in fullness. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so then there was, uh, you kind of closed out the sermon talking about a Mark 12 and the, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then followed by the love your neighbor as yourself. Um, 
I figured we'd just uh well yeah what what do you think um was the connection between ending there and your four main points well the the four main points had to do like enable us to know what God is like that's mine mm -hmm. um bring God near to people that's in our heart deal with our sin problem that's cleansing of our soul and then bring God's kingdom to earth. That's his rule in our life that, that enables us to serve him with our strength. Mm. So that, that's where I started to make the connection to the great commandment. But I, I mean, even just a more general idea, the whole incarnation is done out of love. Mm -hmm. God's love, God's love made real. I, we so often just, have this idea of love as this hypothetical warm feeling. Oh, God has nice warm feelings towards people, but that's not what he communicated. You know, that's not where it stayed. God's love spurred the incarnation that, you know, God so loved the world. He sent his son into the world. Um, and so love demands a response. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, you know, if God would have not done the incarnation, and would have just merely stood from a distance and issued laws, then, then God's expectation would be obedience. Yep. But because God has come near into our, into our world and potentially into our lives, God's expectation of the, the appropriate response is love God back mm -hmm. in return. So that's where I see the connection. Um, to me, God's love is hypothetical without the incarnation. Makes sense. And yeah, you, you, you mentioned to me that, that when Jesus even gave that love, God, that, that wasn't original to him. What no. were you thinking there? Yeah. So it, um, it goes back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter six, verses four to five, where it says like, um, where Moses is talking to the people. And he says, like, hero, hero, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is what one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. I think yeah. um, the concept of the mind didn't exist yet. And so Jesus is quoting that when he says the first commandment. And um, and for me, I know that 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 whole phrase in Jewish tradition is known as the Shema. Um, it was actually something that pious Jew, uh, Jewish people would say every morning and night to kind of remember what, like, remember what is expected of them, almost like a summary of where they're supposed to be going. And also mm -hmm. just like reiterate that, like, this is where they've committed themselves. Um, and so it was just, it got me thinking when you summarized the incarnation kind of with, like the, the reason as to why it was necessary with that, um, with Jesus's reusing it in Mark of a, like, maybe it, maybe it's good to continue that practice of just constantly okay. reminding ourselves of like, no, this is like, this is the essence of what, like what Jesus means is that we love the Lord, our God and with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And I think as you, you kind of ended and closed your sermon, you had said like, God, God himself gave us this command in the old Testament. Um, but Jesus is the one who enables us to live it out. And so mm. constantly, constantly refocusing on it and remembering it um, is a practice that I just might 
start with the new year or something like that. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's right. Um, it can't just be hypothetical. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way to, to just remind yourself of that. And that changes everything else. Like if we would do that, that would change how we would start to live our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I think we are about at 40 minutes. Um, then we should finish up. We don't want to bother people too much for Christmas Eve. Yep. <laughs> you know, we got Christmas Eve service in a couple of days. So, uh, um, and I'll just preview. So the Sunday after Christmas, I'm doing one more sort of in the series, but it's a different ball game. We're going to look at Revelation and it's called the five songs in Revelation. It's from Revelation four and five, but actually it, it's sort of the same topic. It's a very different way. Revelation always is. Uh, it's a biblical, it's a heavenly vision of what the coming of Jesus might've looked like from a different perspective. So, um, yeah, that'll be the Sunday after Christmas, which, you know, if you're not, if you're not churched out, we'd love to have you to come back after Christmas Eve on, on the 26th. Sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, thank you, Pastor Mitch. All right. Thanks, Jessica. Yeah. See you soon. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs>